verses 28 and 29. You know, if we can't break loose in some of the tradition in the church, then what are we going to do? Amen? This is the family of God the coming together, those of the redeemed. God is in the midst by the Holy Spirit. The Word says we have freedom, and we want to exercise it as the Holy Spirit gives us leadership. This morning, we continue in our series. You remember what we've been doing for the past several weeks. What we've been doing is learning more about God. As we look at the lives of particular biblical characters, and the emphasis has been over the last 13 or so weeks, not on something in us and about us and for us, which is not a wrong emphasis, it's just a secondary emphasis. But the primary emphasis is who is this God of ours? That's the primary emphasis of the Bible. That's God's primary emphasis. Who is this God of ours? And we've learned something about him, although obviously not exhaustive. We've learned that he's a holy God. We've learned that he's a sovereign God, that he's faithful. And he's a God filled with loving kindness who is near to us, that he's a God of restoration and salvation. We have learned these things about God, so much more. And this morning, we're making a transition from being primarily preoccupied with who God is to begin to look over the next several weeks at The effect in us of our knowing and seeing this God in us. You see, because if we say we know him, if we say we have encountered him, it is absolutely, unequivocally impossible to have had a personal encounter with God in a saving way and not have had the who God is to be affecting us, beginning to be displayed through us. It's impossible. So this morning, I believe the Holy Spirit just wants me to paint a picture that is wide and broad. This is not the way I was going Wednesday. I had a different sermon, finished it, or at least finished most of it Wednesday was pretty pleased I did it that quickly. Hey, that ain't bad. 4.45 Thursday morning, Holy Spirit says, wake up. Huh? Now, this is what I want you to talk about. <laughs> God is wonderful. God is wonderful. So we're going to look at our lives. And as we do this through this morning's word, what I believe the Lord wants to do more than anything else is to create motive. Give us reasons for letting him produce in us the effect that we'll see as we go through this morning's presentation. And I believe the overarching verse of Scripture that I believe the Lord wants us to use is this. Two very familiar verses. Romans 8, 28 and 29. And we know that God works all things together for the good, for those who love him, 
and who are the called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn of many brethren. God is at work. And God has a primary purpose. In revealing himself to us, as he uses these great issues of who he is to capture our imagination, to capture our affection, to capture our desires in order to draw us into himself so that we may be conformed to the image of God's great Son. Father, as we share the most important revelation eternity has, your word. Father, we pray for the anointing of the Holy Spirit. upon these words that are spoken and upon those words that are heard. Father, we are well aware that this great book, this scripture, will remain a closed book until or unless the Holy Spirit enlivening it by his presence and by his anointing. So, Father, pour out your anointing today. Capture our hearts, some for the first time, most for many times that you've been capturing us, most, again, recapture us. And Father, this morning we pray that as a result of our time together, that you will have worked in us a deeper work of conforming us to your Son. In Jesus' name, amen. Hopefully, all of us are avid readers of the Old Testament. If you're not an avid reader of the Old Testament, may I encourage you to become an avid reader of the Old Testament. May I encourage you to do that. And, you know, one of the most exciting issues or aspects of the Old Testament are the testimonies. Those great, strong, courageous, faith-filled men and women who permeate the pages of the Old Testament. Tremendous, tremendous testimonies. And each one of them being a testimony of the impact and the effect in the life of an average human being of coming to know and seeing this great God. You remember the Hall of Fame? You know what chapter I'm referring to? God's Hall of Fame of Faith, Hebrews chapter 11. And again, let me encourage you to regularly read this chapter. Why? Because you see, these men and women who are listed in this hall of fame are just normal, average people such as the rest of us. There's not a person in that chapter who is greater or lesser than any other person in here in the natural way. They're just average human beings. Listen to some of this testimony. The testimony of the result of knowing and seeing God. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called out into a place that he was to receive as an inheritance, and he went out, not knowing where he was going. 
By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he, had received the, and he who had received the promises was in the act of an offering up of his only son. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith, Rahab, the prostitute, did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies So many others of Gideon, of Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, and were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, and put foreign armies to flight. Knowing and seeing God in a personal and salvation way has enormous effect in our lives. How do these men and women become so great? Why are they great? Well, they're not great because they started out great. They're not great because they were born into somebody's great family. They're not great because they were male or female or rich or poor or white or black or any other kind of issue like that. They were great for one reason. They came to know God. This is the reason for their greatness. You see, knowing God produced in them by the Holy Spirit a total makeover. An inner transformation that resulted in an outer transformation. Every aspect of their lives. Every aspect of their lives, their thoughts, their ideas, their affections, their future, their past, their present, everything. Everything you see was affected Nothing was unaffected. Why? Because, you see, they met the God of glory. And this morning we want to look at what this means to us and what it can mean to us. A life of total reorientation. Each person that is listed in Hebrews 11, each person that is in that hallmark of faith of the Old Testament and in the New Testament. When that person and when those people came to encounter the living God, they encountered some of those attributes that we have been talking about. And everything became completely reoriented in their lives because of what God was doing. Now when I think about All of these people from the beginning to the end, and especially as I hone down into the New Testament, I see, I think, the most remarkable example of this total makeover is the Apostle Paul. I believe when I look at the life of the the Apostle Paul, he encapsulates, if you would, what a Christian person is to look like. I believe more than any other single character in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul gives us the clearest and most compelling demonstration of what happens or can happen in our lives as we come into personal contact in a living way with this living God of ours. You remember the Apostle Paul, don't you? The great apostle to the Gentiles. I mean, he's written about half of the New Testament. 
Remember, he was the champion of evangelism, these missionary journeys going out into areas and being rejected and stoned and thrown out and imprisoned, and yet he persisted, 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 and God began to build the church. We are here today, probably more primarily because of the preaching of Paul than any other single individual within the context of the early church. We are, if you would, the spiritual children of Paul, if we were to take our roots all the way back and find out how in the world did this strain of Christianity finally get into my life, we would find ourselves back probably under the preaching of the Apostle Paul more than any other person. Remember, he's the fearless preacher of the gospel. This man is somebody. He is a great man of God. But see, the question for us this morning is this. Was Paul always like this? Was Paul born as a great man of God. Well, sure, that's Paul. I am no Paul. Yeah, that's the Apostle Peter. I'm not an Apostle Peter. Yeah, that's Moses. No. We are talking about everyday common people who started off life just as the rest of us and who had the same natural advantages to some extent that all of us have. You see, these men, these women were not intrinsically great. They weren't great because of something in themselves by birth. They became great because of someone, the great one himself, who took over their lives and began to make them great as God began to infuse in them his own person and began to use them in a mighty way. Who is this man, Apostle Paul? Well, let's look at the B.C. Paul and the A.D. Paul. Do you know what I mean by B.C. Paul? Before Christ and then A.D. Paul after Christ. Let's just look at him. And and as we look at Paul, and as I read some of these scriptures concerning this man, I would ask you to very carefully listen and think about and consider who he was. You see, because typically if we're not careful, we read the Bible, the New Testament, pretty quickly. And we don't stop to think that these are real people experiencing real circumstances, having real needs. This is reality. This is who we are, really. So let's look at the Apostle Paul. Who was he before Christ? He was a man of huge pride this guy had an ego now I know no one in here with the exception of me and one other person whom I won't name have big egos he was a man of great pride very proud of himself very proud of his tradition very proud of his intellectual accomplishments. Very proud of his mom and them. Very proud of where he went to school. There was probably no area of his life about which he was not proud. I am somebody. Listen to some of these words in Philippians as he gives a little bit of a flavor of who he was as he explains to the church something about his background. He said, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. This is how we used to think before Christ. If anyone thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. I was circumcised the eighth day. 
I'm a religious man. When I was born, I started out right in the church. I didn't get into the church late in life. I've been a member of this church for 5,000 years, whatever, you see. Of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, I am somebody. I come from the right background, the right family. A Hebrew of the Hebrews. As to the law, a Pharisee. I kept the law. I was an obedient man. I did what was right. As to zeal, I even persecuted the church. As to righteousness under the law, I was blameless. You just feel the pride in this man of how he considered himself B.C. He was also a man who hated Jesus and hated the church. I don't have time to go into all that, but this man hated Jesus and hated anything to do with Jesus. And the church was obviously the demonstration of this man, Jesus. Some of you may have had occasion to run into this kind of hatred when you've shared the gospel with others, and there wells up in people. If they are going to be rejectors of the gospel, a hatred for Jesus. Anybody ever, have you ever experienced this? Not just, I don't want to hear that, but a real antagonism and hatred for the name of Jesus. A hatred. A hatred for the church. Remember, he hated Jesus. And in his mind, he had good reason to hate Jesus in his own theological construct. He had reason to hate Jesus. You remember, it was Jesus and this church of these, this man Jesus that was destroying the very theological basis of Israel. And if you allow this thing to continue... All the faith of our fathers and the great Torah, the law, and all the prophets and all the hope of Israel would come crashing down because of this man, Jesus. He had good reason to hate Jesus. Listen to some of his testimony. Listen to what he says, except this is recorded about him, and then the next verses would be what he says. But Saul, or Paul, was ravaging the church. And entering house after house, he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. He hated Jesus and the church. Listen to his personal testimony in Acts 22 and Acts 26. He says, I persecuted this way, this way of Jesus, to the death, binding and delivering to prison both men and women, as the high priest and the whole council of the elders can bear me witness. From then, them I received letters to the brothers, and I journeyed toward Damascus to take those also who were there and bring them in bonds to Jerusalem to be punished. I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And I did so in Jerusalem. I not only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priests, but when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. And I punished them often in all the synagogues. And I tried to make them blaspheme and in raging fury against them. I persecuted them even to foreign cities. He hated Christianity. This is a problem man. This is not the Paul you see that we have become familiar with. This is the kind of guy that you wouldn't want to come in here into our service and start taking pictures of who we are. But something happened. Something happened. And as we look at the A.D. Paul, remember the verse that we read a few minutes ago. For whom God foreknew, he predestined to become conformed to the image of his son. And as we look at the A.D. Paul, I want you to think about this. In the natural, 
Was there anybody who was not going to be saved? Is there anybody in your life say, that guy God can never get to? It's impossible. This guy is beyond this woman. These people are too wicked, too bad. They, God is really not going to get this one done. Do we ever have thoughts like this that the person that we're thinking of is beyond the reach of God? Anybody ever feel that way? Let me tell you. Paul was beyond the reach of God in that sense, if that's what we think. If anybody was beyond the reach of God, it was this guy. But listen to him, A.D., after Christ. That man of pride, that reached with personal pomposity, Listen to him. For I am the least of the apostles. I am unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church. Listen to the humility. He says, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptation. That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the chief. This man would never have admitted that he even sinned once before A.D. He wouldn't even have given you one time. And yet here he is, a man of great humility, pouring out to the people of the church, I am a sinner saved by the grace of God. Even in Philippians 3, he says, I am am." Moving forward to the high call of God. He says, I'm not there yet. I've not become perfect, but I press on. Here is an apostle, a pastor, who is willing to expose his weakness and his frailty and his lack before his congregation. Why? Because God has made him into a man of such humility that the power of God is flowing through him as a demonstration of what God does in weak, failing, faulty people. There's a whole other sermon about that issue of the weakness and the failure of my life. Paul was willing and joy-filled to expose his weaknesses because he knew a secret. That in the midst of this kind of a manifestation, everybody out there is the same way, and he wants the church to experience the power of God in the midst of the weakness, so he doesn't hide it. Remember the man who hated the church. The man who hated the church. You see, Romans 8.29 is the effect whom he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. He hated the church. Listen to these words years later as Paul writes to the church that he hated, whom he killed and persecuted and imprisoned. But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her children. What has happened? What has happened? You see, this isn't a slight change. This is a total life workover, makeover. It is a total reorientation of every aspect of this man's life. For I wrote to you out of much affliction and anguish of heart and with many tears, not to cause you pain, but to let you know the abundant love that I have for you. Remember, this was the man who hated the Lord Jesus, who hated Jesus. Let's turn to Philippians chapter 3 in our Bibles in our New Testament. And let's look at one comment that he had to make about this person of Jesus whom he met and the effect in Paul's life when he met this Jesus. Philippians 
chapter 3. Remember, we're reading the words of a man who hated and loathed Jesus. Philippians chapter 3, verse 7. But whatever gain I had, in other words, whatever status in the world that I used to have, B.C., Whatever it is that I had on all my credentials and background and learning and activities and everything else, all of that, he says, I count as lost for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Oh, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. And I might share in his sufferings, being made conformable unto his death. That by any means possible, I may attain to the resurrection of the dead. Look at the change. Look at the change. What happened? What happened to Paul? You see, because when we look at a person like the Apostle Paul and we see a man who is going to the right and then all of a sudden something happens and he's going in the opposite direction, something dramatic has occurred in this man's life. It's too drastic a change. And you see, when we look at the change in the lives of believers, this room is filled with testimonies. I used to be the most filthy, hateful, slimy person in all the world, but now I am different because I have come in personal contact with this great God and I'm not who I used to be. How many can testify we're changed by God? Yes. Thank God. You see, Paul's testimony is our testimony. Change by the power of God. Thank God for God. What happened to Paul? You see, Paul... I don't want to put it down, but I'm just going to say it this way because I don't want to elevate Paul as so unique. Yes, he had a unique ministry and a unique calling, but we're not talking about something unique here as far as God's renovation of this man. This is just another episode in the great continuing work of our God as he saves people. So he, this is just another story. When we look at Abraham, we see similar when we look at Moses, we see similar. When we look at Joshua, we see similar. When we look at Samuel, we see similar. Elijah, similar. And going all the way through the Old Testament, all the way through the New Testament, what we see is a consistent similarity. Every one of these people who have come face to face with the living God have been radically and forever changed by the living God. That's what we see. It's a consistent pattern. Now, you see, for them who do not believe the Bible, when I say thems, what's your wife's first name? I forgot. What? Kay Swanson Cringes. She was an English teacher. You see, when we look and hear from thems who don't believe this Bible, there is visibly in the world a consistent pattern that occurs to everyone who is born 
into the kingdom of God. This is a consistent pattern. You see, this is not mass hysteria or mass hypnosis. You go to Africa, you go to Asia, you go to South America, you go to Canada, you go anywhere in the world where there are people who have come into personal contact with God, and they and we are going to have the same kind of testimony that we see in this Bible. Why? Because God is saving people, and He's real, and Jesus really did die, He really did get buried, He really did rise from the dead, and we are really going back to Him one day. You see, it's real. It's real. It's real. You here sitting here today trying to figure out what it's, if it's real. There, I don't know how many are here today, but there is a consistency of testimony. Not only in this room, but anywhere you will go, you'll find a person who is a genuine believer in Jesus Christ, and you take notes, what you heard today, what you heard from this Bible, what you hear in this congregation, you're going to hear in those folks. Why? Because God is God. Because it's true. What happened to Paul? Listen, listen to what happened to him. As I was on my way and I drew near to the baskets, remember, I have the credentials and we are going to kill those Christians. May I say this? There is no way. May I repeat myself? There is no way under heaven that a man or a woman will be able to resist the call of God Almighty from heaven to come into the kingdom. It ain't going to happen. When God calls, we're in. By faith, yes, but when God calls. Because God has never lost a called person. This is a tough guy. You'd say, well, maybe the Apostle Paul could resist. Something wrong with the microphone here, brothers. <laughs> Listen to his testimony. I'm moving. I'm raging. I hate this man, Jesus. I am going to destroy the church. And here's God saying, we'll find out. <laughs> you see, because it just happens that God is greater than we are. And I am so thankful that my will could not keep me out of the kingdom of God, that it was God's will that brought me in. And I was on my way to Damascus, and about noon, ugh, a great light from heaven suddenly shone around me, and I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I answered, who are you? Lord, he knows it's the voice of the Almighty. What do you mean, persecuting? I'm cleansing Judaism of this cancer. Who are you? I am Jesus whom you persecute. <gasps> oh my heavens. You see, when God is ready to declare himself to us, he's going to declare himself to us. You keep testifying and you keep sharing and you keep praying. But there is a timing for that person for whom you have been praying and to whom you have been witnessing. That if God is going to bring that person into the kingdom, there is a time. Amen? The success of what we do is to share the gospel. The rest of it is in God's hands. Who are you? I'm Jesus. He says, rise and go into Damascus, and there you will be told what is appointed for you to do. Several years later, Paul writes about the effect in him, and it's found in Galatians 2.20. He says, 
I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live. But Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me. Who loved me. Who loved me. And gave himself up for me. You see, Paul never thankfully could get over the fact that Jesus loved him. And if we have come to know God and as we are increasingly knowing God, we day by day are going to be more amazed with this fact. Jesus loves me. If you're saved this morning, you can say unequivocally, Jesus loves me. He loves me. The most astounding words that I've ever heard in my heart, he loves me. You see, personally, I don't have a good resume as far as righteousness is concerned. And yet, he loves me. Amazing God, isn't he? You see, Paul experienced total transformation. His life was turned upside down. Or maybe we should say his life was turned right side up. Right side up. You see, his life was no longer Paul-oriented, but God-oriented. It was no longer Paul-pleasing, but God-pleasing. It was no longer need-driven, but gospel-driven. You know, once again, let's marvel at the grace of God that he wrought in Paul. You see, this man who was filled with such anger and such hatred, who was so determined to destroy the faith, from this man, We have learned much about love, joy, and gratitude from this man. It's amazing. It's the most remarkable thing that I see. I don't think I can call it white and black transformation. It's just absolutely incredible transformation. But what is it? it? It's the effect in Paul of him coming to know Christ. This is not something that Paul did in himself and studied and applied himself and worked up. This is what God did in the Apostle Paul as Paul gave himself over into the work of God and cooperated with and walked with God. So it was all God and all Paul together. No such thing as all God and none of me. No such thing as getting rid of the flesh. It is all of God in all of my fleshly body as I cooperate with him. Listen to some of these words. From this hating, vile man. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy nor does it boast. Love is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but it rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things. Love believes all things, it hopes all things, it endures all things, all things. Love never ends. So now faith, 
hope, and love. These three abide right now. But the greatest of these is love. From the mouth of this man who hated so much, who hated Jesus so much, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our sins, he made us alive together with Christ, for by grace you have been saved. From this man who hated the church, who hated the Lord Jesus. But God has shown his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Do you believe that meant something to Paul when he wrote that? You see, we pass very quickly over the characters in the Bible. These are real people. They are experiencing real things. And Paul could say, the kind of man that I was, while I was hating and attacking, God was moving from heaven, manipulating circumstances and activities to bring me to the right place at the right time to receive the intervention of his spirit. Jesus loved me as a sinner. You see, Jesus didn't love Paul after he got saved. Jesus loved Paul before he got saved, and Jesus' love for Paul was the issue that caused Paul to be saved and to be able to receive that salvation by faith. It was the love of God. You know, from this man... This pride, self-centered, self-pleased man. We have some of the most wonderful words about joy and gratitude. So that by God's grace I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. For what thanksgiving can we return to God for you for all the joy that we feel for your sake before God the next time you begin to be dissatisfied and upset and impatient and feel like you just can't go anymore in dealing with another either believer or unbeliever, but especially a believer the next time you, you know, you, you, there are people in this congregation who are kind of difficult to get along with. <laughs> Certainly I'm not one of them, but <laughs> you laugh too loudly on that one. They're just obnoxious people. Is that true or not? How many of you know obnoxious people? Come on. And, and we begin to minister to one another, walk with one another, and strive with one another, and we begin to get it up to here with them. Anybody ever had it up to here with another believer? Is mine the only hand that's going up? Listen to 1 Thessalonians 3.9 again. Because Paul was dealing with issues in the church. He'd already been spending time with them, and then he leaves, and he's getting reports about, but what do you mean? You've already changed the teaching. I've been there for weeks and weeks, and now you're changing the teaching? What do you, why did I spend so much time with these people, and they still don't get it? Whoo, what's wrong with these folks? He says, oh, what joy it is to me. How can I thank God for the joy that you give? There's a certain person in this church with whom I was ministering, trying to anyway. Hard-headed person this guy was. Obstinate. Over and over and over and pfft. And I began to develop an attitude.
No, it's not Bill Treby. I know what you're thinking of. It's not Bill Treby. Because Nancy looked right at Bill. No. So I began to develop an attitude. <laughs> Bill, I began to develop an attitude about this person. I really did. I began to cop an attitude. You ever cop an attitude? Let me tell you, God is so good. I remember it like just a second ago. I'm out praying. And this person comes into my prayer thoughts. And it's like, oh, man, now i got to share him with my God. You know, like, <laughs> couldn't I just have a little relaxation and get away from this person? <laughs> I know none of you have ever had this. Here's what God told me. He said, if this were your grandson, would you want somebody to have the same attitude toward your Jonathan? That broke it. It was gone. It was gone. Thank God it has not resurfaced. Because every time I begin to sniff out that attitude, I think, if this were my Jonathan, would I want that person to have that attitude about my main man? No. We always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray. What an astounding testimony. But let's be clear. This is a testimony about God. What we've been talking about today is not the Apostle Paul primarily. We have been talking about the Apostle Paul as a jar of clay. 2 Corinthians 4, 7, for we had this treasure, this God of ours, in earthen vessels, jaws of clay, that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. So what we've been hearing is a testimony of the impact, the effect in my life, in your life, in Paul's life, in innumerable lives over the centuries, thousands upon thousands upon thousands and thousands will stand before the throne one day as a great company who will be the living, eternal demonstration of the power and the effectiveness of coming to know this God. The question this morning is, do you know him like this? Do you know him? Is your life being touched personally, internally by this God that you are beginning to see evidence and fruit? God is changing me. God is changing me. You see, the Bible says, for God so loved the world. The love of God for the world was so great, so great, that he sent his only son. That whoever believes in Jesus would not perish but have eternal life. Jesus said, I've not come into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through me might be saved. How do we come to know this God of ours? This God whom we have been discussing for so many weeks. How do we come to know him this way? We come to know him this way through the gospel. The gospel that says that God has created us and is sovereign. The gospel that says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You remember Paul says, I sin. The gospel that says, God has sent his only divine son to pay the full, complete price of the penalty and guilt of our sin when he suffered on the cross. 
so that all my sin, so that all my sin, being born by him, would be completely and forever paid for by the death of Jesus. So that when he says it is finished, everything necessary for me to be saved as far as a work is concerned has been completed by his work at the cross. There's nothing that I can do other than this. I have realized I am undone. I have realized I have sinned. I have realized my life is not lived in the context of a personal relationship with this God. And I find this morning myself wanting to have this kind of life. I want the life of God in me. I want the forgiveness, the restoration, the power, the love of God in my life. I want to become a child of God. I want my testimony in this world to be like Paul's, and especially when I stand before the throne of grace, I want God to declare, welcome son, welcome daughter, rather than to say, I never knew you, depart from me, ye cursed into iniquity, uh, you workers of iniquity, depart. Where do you stand in this? This morning, there are folks here, and you have not come to know God this way. Not knowing about God, but knowing God this way. And this morning, I believe the Holy Spirit wants to give you this is your time. You've been invited here today for one reason, for God to do in you what he did in Paul, to completely transform your life, not to give you things, but to give you himself, not to improve your life, but to give you eternal life, to forgive, to cause you to become a child of God. And to write your name in the eternal book of life in heaven. So let's stand together. If this morning inside of you has been resonating, this is foreign to me. I've not experienced this, but I want to. If inside of you has been resonating a desire, a desire to know God and understanding that I have sinned. How can I come to God? Because you see, if God is drawing you, he is drawing you because Jesus has forgiven your sin and he wants to apply that to you this morning. Jesus has paid the price. So this morning, church, let's pray. And if you have been experiencing this and you this morning have realized, I need to say yes. I need to encounter this God. I need to have my life changed from a self-centered, self-oriented, self-pleasing, condemned life to a life that is God-oriented, God-pleasing, eternally joy-filled life with God. I need that. I want that. Jesus has paid the price. Yours, like mine, is to receive what he gives to us free of our work and of our merit. So this morning, if this is what is happening in your heart, would you come on down to the front and we'll be praying for you. Simply put, we simply want to pray with you. You're not joining this church. You're not giving money. We're no, no strings attached. We simply want to give you an opportunity. Is God speaking to you? And is he wanting you to come down today to receive this gift of eternal life? Do you feel that in your heart today? If you do, come on down. 
Come on down this morning if you feel that. If you want your life, as it were, to be worth living. Survey your life. Survey it. Survey it. Do you know God the way Paul knew God, the way Abraham knew God? We'll wait for a few moments and see if the Lord brings anyone up.